You're listening to the official South Bay Church podcast. For more about us, please visit southbaychurch.us. Well, it's good to see everybody this morning. Are we all recovering from our uh, Thanksgiving Day comas? <laughs> I don't know that I'm totally there yet or not, and I'm, I'm, I've got a refrigerator that's still so full of food that I'm a little concerned with what the midsection is going to be looking like as we move forward here. But uh, I was honestly thinking about going home, and even though I, I make the most fantastic stuffing on the face of the planet, uh, I'll, we'll, we'll, we'll put it to the test. I've still got some left over. You want to have a little taste off? We can go at it. Uh, I was honestly thinking about um, getting rid of it, though, because um, needless to say, it's not the most carb-friendly dish in the world. I mean, the Italian sausages in it does add some protein, so that's not a bad thing. And there's some green things called herbs that are in that mix as well. But uh, anyways, I do want to start out by thanking uh, Dan Rally for uh, just taking us to the cross this morning with communion and really helping us with the significance. I don't know if I've ever viewed it quite that way, but that understanding that Jesus was grateful that he had the opportunity not only to demonstrate God for us, but that he was grateful for the opportunity to be able to give himself up for us so that we could have a right relationship with God. And uh, that, more than anything, is just absolutely amazing when we think about that this morning. You know, it gave me the opportunity to start thinking through some things that, you know, in light of being a disciple of Jesus Christ, as being a Christian, the significance of that, one, the gift we've been given, but the opportunity that that has given us to give to others. I'm grateful for the fact that my wife is a, a disciple, that she's a Christian with me. I'm grateful for the, the opportunity that we both had, even though it was a little bit later in life with our kids, that Stephen was five at the time and Shailene was two and a half, that we had the opportunity to modify our household through uh, others that demonstrated what a Christian household looked like, because I was kind of clueless, to be real frank with you. And to be able to see him today with his baby knowing that he's in a much better place than I was when he was born, when it comes to just the emotional connection he's got with God, the ability to emotionally connect with her. And it's so incredible for me to watch him love her. But at the same time, it gives us insight as to how God loves us. Amen? Uh, I think we've got a a couple here today that's uh, probably a little bit more grateful on a different level than most of us here. Um. Hmm, who, who might that be? Can I, I, I'm probably going to butcher one of the names, but I know Kike's here, right? And uh, her fiancé, Oledele, is here as well. We can get you guys to stand up. Congratulations. What, a, what an incredible way to close out 2016, amen? It's awesome. They're engaged. I said her fiancé. Isn't that way? If one didn't have one before and one has one now, I think that means they're engaged. You guys are engaged, right? Okay, I just wanted to make sure. I have a feeling we're going to have people paying a little more attention as I move forward here this morning now, which is a good thing. We're, we're starting to break through that coma thing. Um, my name is Steve Marici. For those of you that are visiting with us, and I have the incredible uh, blessing of being able to lead here in the South Bay Church. Uh, last weekend, uh, I was missing. Uh, Jackie and I were up in uh, Simi Valley, and that 
they're kind of going through the same kind of change that you guys went through about six, seven years ago when a couple of different groups came together. They're getting ready to combine, or actually, that was the kickoff of them combining their Shoreline and Simi Valley Ministries. And it was just awesome to be able to see some old friends, people I haven't seen in quite a while. Again, a degree of gratitude for those that you were, I had the opportunity of being involved with, studying the Bible with, uh, one of my coworkers, and I'll get into a little bit more detail with that. But you know it is, you haven't been to a group for a while, and it's like, oh my gosh, they're still here. I mean, it's, it's so encouraging on so many different levels. Uh, we're going to be talking about Jesus' strategy, as you can see on the uh, slide behind me here, how to change the world. Now, of course, you know, do most of us feel like the world needs changing? Okay, so we're probably good with the subject matter we've got over the next few weeks here. Um, there's a book that uh, we were started selling last week called The Master Plan of Evangelism. We decided we want to make that available to everybody for free. So if you paid for it last week, see Sasha Hill afterwards. She'll have a refund for you. Uh, but you do uh, it's it such an incredible overview. It's the life of Jesus and the impact that he had on this planet in a short 33 years, but how it changed the face of the planet, how it changed the known world at that point, and even history. It's just amazing the impact that one man had. But I think the thing that's so incredible about that is we learn from Jesus' strategy that men and women were his method for that change. Uh, I did have the opportunity to listen to uh, Brian's message from last week. I thought he did a great job with... Uh, his uh, consecration, and then coming up with a title that uh, he felt was more fitting, uh, too legit to quit. Uh, I'm not going to break out in any MC Hammer stuff. I just want to, you know, I don't want to disappoint you. I'm sure he probably did that for you last week, though. And then, obviously, with that, one of the other things that he covered with the, the too legit to quit was that God came down as a man. It was very obvious who he was and who he represented. And then the impartation. Uh, which he changed the title on to spread love. And how Jesus had something incredible to give away that we've all been the recipient of. Now, I'd like to say that uh, I, I'm, you know, I, I'm quite as uh, prolific as Brian is when it comes to kind of tweaking things along those lines. I'm going to keep it simple. But if you remember a number of months back, we, we took some time going through the Jesus model versus the temple model and really understanding the significance of Christ. That again, Jesus, the Jesus model is centered on the you besides you. Loving God first and foremost, loving your neighbor as yourself, being able to engage on that level, as Brian talked about last week, spreading love. Now, I thought the scriptures they opened up with were incredibly significant, and they really play into what we're dealing with today as well. So I wanted to start that with uh, the two opening passages he had last week. John 1, verse 1, where it says, In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And this is the one that just, when it comes to what God was willing to demonstrate for us, the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life that was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So just really that establishment right out of the chute as to who Jesus Christ is. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God. Jesus came down and gave us the opportunity to see firsthand what God looked like, most significantly in his conduct, his compassion, his love, the grace that he was willing to extend, the fact that there were no boundaries, there were no walls when it came to anybody 
was available to Christ. Race didn't matter. Culture didn't matter. Religion didn't matter. Whether or not you were pure, sick, a leper didn't matter. He would engage with everybody. And that's the kind of God we have. God wants that relationship with everybody. Hebrews 1 verse 3, it says, The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of His being, sustaining all things by His powerful word. And after He provided purification for sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Again, just thinking through this, Jesus is the word. Jesus is the exact representation of God who died for you and me to purify us from sin. You know, today we're looking at two additional parts of the master's plan, God's strategy, Jesus' strategy, which for me are the ones that probably had the biggest impact personally on myself. Demonstration and delegation. But before we get into that, I need a volunteer. I need a volunteer. I prefer a teen. I, I didn't, come on up, Gianna. <clears throat> I have nothing. There's nothing alive in the bag. I just want to uh, clarify that from the uh, get-go here. Move this into the light here. Okay, you're going to have to put your hand in here and pull these out. You can't look. No, I'm kidding. I don't even know that she's going to want to touch these right out of the chute here. These are um, some of my shoes. <laughs> you want to go ahead and stand in behind there? Now, you know how to tie shoes, right? How many different ways do you know how to have tying shoes? One. Okay, so why don't you go ahead and give us a demonstration on the first one. Oh, well, you know what, actually, why don't you explain? Can you put into words what it takes to tie a shoe? Are we, uh, yeah, we're live. No, without showing, just, just tell if you can. You know what, we're going to bag it on that. And here's why. I think that, that in and of itself makes a point, right? It is so much easier, well, in some ways, to demonstrate than to tell. I don't know about you, I'd much rather have somebody demonstrate for me than tell, right? Uh, especially if, it, if it's a matter of me doing something I've never done before, it's so much easier for me to have someone show me the steps so that I can imitate what I've seen rather than what I've heard. Because as we, we saw today, another demonstration, uh, people wanted to know what was going on with this couple up there. What was I announcing? They're engaged. But, you know, it's amazing how when it comes to what's verbalized, how sometimes we can get kind of caught up and maybe miss some things. So with that, would you show us how to do the first one? You can actually do it. Absolutely amazing. Would you look at this? Come on, girl. Woo! Okay, now you can go ahead and grab a seat. Is there a way, is there another way of tying shoes? Lisa Rally, how, what would the difference be? Double bunny ears. So basically, we could go with the existing bunny ears, right? Well, what, what about this one? Okay, does it, does it not accomplish the same thing? And is, does this one maybe stay tied a little bit better than the original one? Now, what I hate about this one is... 
you know, sometimes you end up with a square knot, which is not what we want, right? Now, I heard, I heard double bunny ears. You know, I learned something today. I, Lisa, are you going to be able to make it up here? Or is there anybody else that knows what she's talking about as far as the double bunny ears? I've got another one, but maybe it's just vernacular. Again, you know, demonstrating versus what you hear. I don't know if I know the double bunny ears. Okay, okay. Never done that one. Now, am I going to need, like, directions on how to untie this? Okay, don't do that. Well, now there's another one that I like. There's a fourth one, which, uh, you know, you could say grab the bunny ears, take the thing, wrap it around one of the ears, pull out another loop, and this one's a little bit different. Okay, we do the conventional pull. There's a bunny ear. Now, with this bunny ear, we go around once. We go around twice. Some of you guys learned something different, something new today. And then you pull. And the thing that's cool about this is it holds tight, especially with these types of shoes with the funky shoelaces that come undone real easy. But you just give it a pull, and there's no knot. But it holds as well as the double and the double bunny. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you very much. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> You're more than welcome. And you know, this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus demonstrated a, in this situation, I guess it would be a fourth way with the other one that was in there. I was thinking three. So for me, I'm just going with that. He gave us a third way when it came to engaging other people. It wasn't about a religion. It wasn't about a lack of religion. It was about God, love, compassion, grace. So, you know, I would imagine the way I just showed you, how many of you have seen or done that one before? Elaine, Calvin, oh, wow, we got three people in the group that knew that one. But Jesus gives us a new way, which I love. And in John 13, it's real clear. He says... For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done for you. I've given you an example that you should also do just as I've done for you. This is huge. Now, in context, this is before he goes to the cross. He's getting with his guys. He's having some final talks. And what does Jesus do? wraps a towel around his waist, gets down on his knees, and goes on and washes the feet of the disciples. God in heaven, we know that. God in heaven comes down and takes on one of the lowliest postures ever. And this is what he calls us to do. This is about being much more concerned with those around you than you yourself. And this is what I love about Christianity. When it's done right, we can see what we're supposed to be. We can see what we're supposed to do. And Jesus demonstrated that, which is amazing. Jesus washes his disciples' feet at the close of his earthly ministry. We see him demonstrate this incredible love for others, one another. And, you know, with, as we move through the scriptures, it continues. 
We see him demonstrate this love over and over and over and over again. More than 20 times in the Gospels, it calls attention, our attention, to Jesus' practice of prayer before he would engage in this wonderful, amazing degree of love for others. Whenever there was something momentous that was going to take place, something that was life-changing that would take place, it started with his own baptism. Then we see him pray, and there's this incredible degree of compassion over who his guys were going to be, the 12 apostles. We see him pray on the Mount of Transfiguration, the Last Supper in Gethsemane, on the cross, the confession of his Messiahship, and his emotionally... There's just this emotional outburst in prayer to God before he went to the cross. We see him pray before he would heal the multitudes, feeding the 5,000, later feeding the 4,000, healing the deaf mute, raising Lazarus from the dead. Prayers on the lips of Jesus as he looks to the multitudes that he came to save. And he demonstrated that for his guys as well as for us. We see him pray before his interaction with the religious leaders of the day in his discussion with the Greeks who came to see him. And after sending away the 5,000 who had been fed, blessing the little children, and finally those who nailed him to the cross. See, with Christ, it wasn't a matter of being religious. You know, it's defined in a number of different ways. I mean, it could be relating to, concerned with religion, a religious holiday, imbued with or exhibiting religion, being pious. What the heck does that even mean? But Jesus lets us know what it looks like to have a right relationship with God and others. See, with Jesus, it wasn't a matter of being irreligious either, which, you know, not religious, not practicing religion, feeling no religious impulses or emotions. So what was he? What was he an example of? That third way. Compassion, love, concern for others, compelled by God's love, but more, most importantly, demonstrating, not just telling us how loving God is, but demonstrating for us how loving God is. We're going to look at a few different ways where Jesus would demonstrate this. Demonstration of Christ's love and compassion. We see it with the the way he would engage everybody, but in, in this case, in supporting the weak. Matthew 19, verse 14. Jesus said, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. You know, his disciples, when it came to the kids who were coming to see him for a blessing, I'm not exactly sure how they viewed it, other than the fact that they kind of were shooing them off. Maybe they, they felt that it was an annoyance. Maybe they felt that it was something that Jesus shouldn't have to engage. There were so many other things that needed to be done. But again, we see Jesus' concern on a hard level. He talks about the children over and over and over again, how if we don't have a childlike heart, we can't even enter the kingdom of God. And what is that? When we, when we think of children, what do we think of? I, I think of my little grandbaby. But she's amazing. I mean, you walk into the room and she hears your voice and, Immediately she turns. You walk over, she holds up her arms. She wants to be lifted up. There's no ruse. There's no game. She wants to be loved and she wants to love. She wants to engage on that level, which is amazing. You know, we see with Jesus and the sick and healing the sick in Matthew 14, 14. It says, when Jesus landed and saw a large crowd, he had compassion on them and he healed their sick. And we know that, again, when it came to who he was willing to do that for, 
He wasn't selective. It was men, women, children, old, young, Gentile, Samaritan, Jew. It didn't matter who you were. You know, we think about sometimes the individuals that we're willing to help or engage. Can how we feel about them sometimes determine whether or not we're willing to or not? That wasn't Jesus. Jesus was always more concerned with others than he was himself. In feeding the hungry, Matthew 14, verse 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place, and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. And what was Jesus' response? He replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. And we see a little bit of a transition here, which we're going to talk more about. And then he ultimately feeds them. But this was a, this was a lesson for his guys. And that they need to be willing to engage on that level. He was delegating that responsibility to them. These people have been here. They've been listening to the word. They've been learning about God. You need to be responsible and take care of them as they've engaged us on this level. Matthew 18, verse 12. Matthew 18, verse 12. It says, what do you think? If a man owns a hundred sheep and one of them wanders away, we not leave the 99 on the hills and go to look for the one that wandered off? And if he finds it, Truly I tell you, he is happier about the one sheep than about the other 99 that did not wander off. In the same way, our Father in heaven is not willing that any of these little ones should perish. God wants everyone to have a relationship with him. God wants everyone to have the opportunity to be saved. And we see this demonstration of, you know, you would think that, well, heck, he's got 99 out of the 100. It doesn't matter. If there's so much as one lost soul, Jesus lets us know that that's the one that we need to go after. That's the level that we need to engage on. And this is the thing I love the most about Jesus. He didn't ask anyone to do or be anything that he himself was not willing to demonstrate in his own life. Jesus' mission in life was to change the world, and he did it by demonstrating what it would take. You know, I think we, we saw in, in some ways it might be good enough to tell people what we mean. But how much better was it this morning to show? How much better is it for us as disciples, as Christians, to demonstrate who we are? And I, you know, I would, I would venture to guess there's, there's a lot of people out there that are looking for answers, looking for explanations. But how much better is it for us to be able to model that explanation for them when it comes to those that have made Jesus Christ Lord of their lives, those who have been baptized for the forgiveness of sin, those that have the gift of the Spirit, Holy Spirit, those that understand how grateful we should be that we've been given this gift of salvation to be able to demonstrate for others how God worked in our lives, the changes that took place in our lives. You know, what are we demonstrating to those that we come into contact with. Do we demonstrate love? How about servant leadership? And I think really understanding that as disciples, we're all leaders. We're called to demonstrate what Jesus did. 
We're called to lead others to Christ. So we're all leaders, but do we demonstrate servant leadership at work, at school, with our neighbors? Do we lead our friends and our family members, our neighbors, in our love for the lost, the sick, the hurting? Do we lead people to Jesus? You know, this is one of the other things that I appreciate being demonstrated for me very early on as a Christian is hope worldwide. What it meant to, I mean, one of my, one of the most, for me as a young Christian, I think one of the things that had the biggest impact on me was going through Pomona. And I believe this was the mid-90s. And going from, in trailer park, door to door, offering free immunization. And just seeing, on one hand, the conditions that people were living in, which made me super grateful for what I have. But on the other hand, still seeing these functioning family units, but having something to offer that they themselves didn't have available to them. And isn't that what the case is with anybody that doesn't have a relationship with Christ? For that spirituality, that opportunity to be offered. You know, I love so much what we do here in the South Bay, the different programs that we have, the means of having impact that we have. Um, Maureen and, and everything that she does with the Department of Children's Services and Elaine and just all the different things, all the different projects that we have that ultimately we probably benefit more from than the individuals that we're reaching out to. And then I know it keeps my heart pure. It keeps me grateful for how I've been blessed, where I live, the wife that I have, the kids that I have, the opportunity to do this. And to be able to share with others what an amazing God that I serve, but ultimately serves me first. Thinking through this, do we realize what we have? Do we demonstrate loving the lost? Or are we frustrated, lazy, sarcastic, apathetic, or tired? Or maybe just maybe kind of feeling hopeless because of some things that have gone on in our own lives but always getting back to the root of who we are as Christians. I think we've got to really understand this. Demonstration is huge. Why? How many of you profess being disciples of Jesus Christ? We do that, guess what people do? They look. They're looking. And I know... As a 13-year-old, what I was looking for when I walked away from the Catholic faith, I walked because I didn't see anybody living it. And you tend to, you know, it's amazing. When you're you're cynical, when you've got issues and you're searching, the degree of scrutiny that you put on anybody or anything that claims they have something different, I don't know about you, but for me, it went through the roof. You claim to be what? I'm looking. I'm watching. And it wasn't until I was 32 years of age that I actually came across somebody that was able to demonstrate it for me, that they were living it, that would challenge me on the way I treated my wife, that not only challenged me on my language, but was never in a position where I caught them using curse words, that had a little two-year-old daughter that listened to them, that there was a family unit that came together for dinner that sat down and even with their two-year-old, was having family devotionals, getting her at a point where she understood what the Bible was, who Jesus was, and the love that they had was something they had because of Christ. 
We're being watched. We're being looked at. And what are people going to find? Paul understood this. See, we're going to change the world. We need to remember we are the exhibit. Paul says in Philippians 3, verse 17, Join and imitate me, brothers, and observe those who live according to the example you have in us. You know, who would that be? Anybody in our sphere of influence? You know, it's amazing how you model things, and if it's a, if it's a good thing. I don't know, I looked at Bruce and Nora, and there were things there. It's like, man, I want this. And I wanted it enough that I got over my issues with organized religion, corporate religion, groups like this that I had no, I didn't want to have any part of. But because of what was demonstrated in their individual lives, that had an impact. I wanted it. So when they finally got around to ask me for the 50th time, do you want to study the Bible? Actually, I think I shared with you guys, I got tricked. I was in their house, and there were some questions that I had, and ultimately about the dinosaurs, right? And uh, I remember Bruce saying, well, you know, if you're interested, we can sit down, we can look at the Bible, and we can take a look at those things. I'm like, that appealed to my scientific uh, background. All right, sure, you, you, you want to, let's go, prove something here. And it was so interesting, by the time we got into it, and I actually started studying the Bible, the dinosaurs didn't matter anymore, because you know what, to be real frank with you, other than the fossils you've got in a museum somewhere, or some Jurassic Park thing somewhere down the road, which from what I understand ain't going to happen anyway, that DNA ain't preserved, they can say whatever they want about liquid amber, but anyway, <laughs> how much significance does a bone in the ground have for me in my life today? But what I saw was the Bible had an impact. The Bible was living and active. Even though it was 2,000 plus years old, there were things that I was able to embrace and apply to my own life. And it changed my life. It changed my marriage. It changed my relationship with my kids. And most importantly, people that I had nothing, I had absolutely zero reason to engage with. But this is one of the things that really encouraged me when I was up in Simi Valley. One of my salesmen, Mike Blanda, he became a Christian. A few months later, my wife had the opportunity to study the Bible with his wife. She became a Christian. We left, but in coming back to find out that Elsie's mom became a Christian, and Elsie's brother became a Christian, and Elsie's brother's going to be going on staff in their campus ministry up in the Simi Valley Ventura area. And it's just encouraging to see how it didn't stop with them. What we were able to demonstrate for them and the challenges they had in their marriage, they continue to apply. One of their daughters has an inoperable brain tumor. And it was emotional talking to them about that, sitting there with this little girl who has gone through chemo, and there's really no medical way of taking care of things. And the, but to see that because they were Christians, they were able to work through this. They had the support. They had the ability to engage with this terrible thing and you know it ain't over till it's over last time i checked with god i'm i'm hopeful i'm faithful but to see them work through that and to embrace that and to draw closer through a very challenging situation it's just how god works and you know what there's people looking at them looking to see how they're going to handle those situations and it's not over for them i guarantee you there's gonna be other people that come to the faith because of their story philippians 4 verse 9 it says, do what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. 
and the God of peace will be with you. They get that when it comes to their little girl. We've got to make sure and understand that there's no substitute for or evading our personal responsibility to show and demonstrate the way for those that we walk with daily. Again, in the workplace, in school, in our neighborhoods, when it comes to what Jesus Christ represents, who Jesus Christ is. As disciples, if we're truly following Jesus, we've seen the change in our own lives. We've seen that from the time we first started, before we were even baptized. We know the things that we started to modify when we took a look at scriptures and realized in order to be a disciple, our lives needed to match up with the life of Christ. We've seen how our lives changed when we had an understanding and a gratitude for the forgiveness of sin that had taken place. And we'd become, for the first time, a pure vessel that the Holy Spirit could reside within. But I think we also understand and we all know that mere knowledge isn't enough. Jesus was training men and women to literally change the world. And when they knew enough to get started, he saw to it that they did something about it. This was Jesus' strategy of conquest through trained and spiritually alert men and women. Men and women just like you in the front row. Men and women just like all of you back there in the back row. And everybody in between. You know what you've been called to. We know what an incredibly loving and compassionate God we serve. And we've all been called to action by Jesus Christ. You know, as we close out 2016, we're really understanding that this is time to change the world. As we head into 2017, this is the time to change the world. As your evangelists, part of your leadership team here in South Bay, what we're saying is it's time. It's time to change the world. Time for each of us to demonstrate Christ for others. Now with that, we're going to go to our uh, next point here, which is delegation. What does it mean to delegate? Yeah, let's pass on. Now, you know, we know in the world that can come in the form of, here's what I want you to do, do as I say, not as I do. But as Christians, the thing that's awesome is that all we're doing is modeling Jesus. You know, on a mountain in Galilee, I think we're back here, so let me see if I can get up to uh, where we need to go. On a mountain in Galilee... Jesus gave his great commission, not only, though, to those 11 disciples that showed up, but in 1 Corinthians 15, 6, we know that he also delegated to about 500 people. And it was a clear proclamation of his strategy of world conquest. In Matthew 28, verse 18, it says, And Jesus came to them and said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. We see him delegating that responsibility. He's going back to heaven. He's walked with these guys for three years. He's trained them. He's demonstrated for them most significantly what true religion is all about. Go, make, teach. And then finally, before he ascended back to the Father, Jesus went over the whole thing again. So we know his guys went back to fishing. They got a little scattered. They got a little disappointed, maybe discouraged. So he engages them for one last time, showing them how things were to be fulfilled when he was with them. In Luke 24, verse 44. 
And ultimately, it was just a reminder, follow me. Follow what I have done. Follow my method. And again, Jesus' method was just that. It was the way he lived his life. It was the way he walked. Jesus gave the 12 direction to concentrate their time on the most uh, promising individuals in each town that he would come across so they would be able to continue their work after the disciples had left. Find someone friendly that's open. If not, what does he say to do? Shake the dust off your feet and get on to the next one. They were going out with a revolutionary gospel. And when it was adhered to, it affected a revolutionary change in people and their society. You know, I think we all agreed about this at the beginning this morning, that we're, we live in a world that's in dire need of change. And with the disciples, they were to be the actual representatives of Christ as they went out. We're called to be the actual representatives of Christ. And we need to have the conviction that God's strategy for evangelism is ultimately the heartbeat of what we are called to be. Are we personally, each one of us individually, are we experiencing revolutionary change in our lives? Are we hanging on to what we're comfortable with? Are the small groups that we're in in our homes experiencing revolutionary change? Are we as disciples obeying the gospel call, living out what Jesus modeled and delegated for us to perpetuate? And I think it's significant, too, to know that Jesus reminded them of the decisive nature of the gospel invitation that had been given to them to spread. There could be no compromise with sin. And for this reason, anyone holding on to God, it's amazing. I, I know when I'm not in a good place and I hear something that's challenging, I can be a little disturbed by maybe what I need to change, what I need to go after in my own life. And these guys came to an understanding that their preaching and teaching was not this matter of being these handshaking emissaries that were sent out, maintaining the status quo of complacency. Jesus said to them in Matthew 10, verse 34, Do not suppose that I've come to bring peace to the earth. I did not come to bring peace. For I've come to turn a man against his father, a daughter against their mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A man's enemies will be the members of his own household. Why? So we follow Christ, there's a difference. There's a contrast. It's not something that's always going to be comfortable. And he lays it out in this passage. He says, anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take up their cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds their life will lose it, and whoever loses their life for my sake will find it. You know, it was interesting, in our, our house on, uh, over Thanksgiving, you know, we, uh, we had a talk with everybody. It was one of the smaller Thanksgiving gatherings that we had, but it's amazing. Usually the topics that come up over a meal when it's a mixed group fall within the realm of two topics that you're not supposed to engage in, right? Politics and religion. And I, you know, it's my house with my rules. <laughs> Politics was not going to be something we were going to discuss. But I let them know right off the front side, you know what, if religion comes up, my house. And I think, you know, in a lot of ways, this is what we're seeing in this passage. Lifestyle, living in accordance with what Jesus has called us to, it can create issues. It can be uncomfortable. But our life here, if we keep this in mind, remember, you guys all remember Francis Chan on the rope with that little red tip. This is now. And eternity just goes on forever and ever. 
You know, yeah, there, there's aspects of my Christianity that aren't always the most comfortable thing on the face of the planet. But when I look at my life before and I look at my life after, I feel like I, I'm getting, I'm, I'm right here, I'm feeling and getting a taste of heaven. And the relationships I know I wouldn't have today, those of you that are my friends in this group, the fact that my son and my daughter still are willing to spend time with dad, and I know what that would have looked like outside of God's kingdom. You know, 32 year anniversary just a few days ago. That wouldn't, we wouldn't be talking about it. And again, Sonia, thank you. <laughs> but really understanding who we are and what we have. Walking as a Christian is not an easy journey. These guys were going out with a revolutionary gospel. And when it was obeyed again, it affected this incredible change in people. Christians, disciples, we've got to understand this. There is no difference. They're one and the same. And you can't be a Christian or a true disciple of Jesus Christ without demonstrating Jesus. Christian disciples are sent men and women. We've been sent out. We've been delegated to do the same work of world evangelism for which Jesus was sent and for which he gave his life. Really understanding this, evangelism. It's a great quote by Robert Coleman. It's not an optional accessory. It is not an optional accessory to our life as disciples. It is the heartbeat of what we are called to be and do. This is the commission of the church that gives meaning to all else that's undertaken in the name of Jesus Christ. Everything in the name of Christ has its justification in fulfilling this mission. And is this the South Bay Church as we sit here? Are we filled with sent men and women? If not, why not? Because as disciples, we've been equipped and we've been called to action. And this is what I love about it. It's not about a checklist. It's not about how many people you meet, how many phone numbers you get, how many doors you knock. As I almost knock over the microphone. What it's about is what we do. We live life. I don't know about you. I enjoy my life. I have a good time with my life. I get people in my life, into my home. When I was working secular jobs... It was very evident there was something different about me. You know, imagine how weird it would be. Some of you can have experienced this. You've got a job. You become a Christian. And all of a sudden, there's this contrast. Dude, I don't understand you anymore. Can you go back to cursing the way you used to? I found that a lot more effective. I mean, I literally heard this from people. You know, all of a sudden, you're not going out partying the way you used to. You're not hitting the strip joints. You're not out drinking. You're not doing these things. And people... Look at it thinking, okay, this dude is a little weird, man. He just joined some cult or something. What's going on here? But that contrast makes people examine themselves. It's not about what we say. For those of you that have any form of social anxiety, don't worry about it. Just live your life like Jesus. Love others like Jesus. Be compassionate and grateful for what God has done for you. That's what we're called to. That's what influences people. Paul understood this call to action. Ephesians 2, verse 4. It says, But God, who is rich in mercy, out of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead through our trespasses. Again, this amazes me. When I was at my worst, when I was up to my eyeball, all eyeballs in sin, God was there. God made Christ available to me, even when I was dead in sin. 
He's made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved and raised up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so in the ages to come he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. That's what we have in God. Let us never forget this God of grace and kindness who sent someone into our lives with this incredible gift. Ephesians 3 verse 18 reads, I pray that you may have the power to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge so you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Jesus had the impact that he did not because of what he said but because of the way he walked and then calling others to take what he had given them and give it to someone else as well. The thing that motivated Jesus was his love for God as well as his love for us. My prayer for each of us is that we're motivated by that same love. I'd like to close with Ephesians 5, verse 1. It says, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children, and live in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus came and modeled God for each and every one of us. And this is what each and every one of us is called to is be imitators of God so that others will have the opportunity to see God and see the impact that God had in our lives. See, unless we engage in evangelism, our group is going to stagnate in self-contentment and eventually fossilize into nothing more than a mutual admiration society. But I know that's not where we're at because we know what's at stake, but each of us need to be willing to engage on that level. Just live your life for God so others can see it. We've got to keep our purpose clear. I think it's something we all need to realize. Everyone must and can do something. Again, hopefully I've already established for this, for this for you. It's not as daunting as it may seem. We just need to live our life in accordance with the life that Jesus demonstrated for us. Loving others. What that looks like. Serving the poor. Engaging with our neighbors. Not hitting the remote on the garage door when we get home at night. And then just hitting it again on the way out. But then we invite people in. I appreciate the Jacksons and the uh, app that they've been using to make contact in the community. And I've been wanting to do that. I want to thank Dave Atkins. He friended me into, what is it, next door? And it's amazing all the people in our neighborhood now that are engaging with me on that level. And I can't wait till we hold our first Bible talk. But this, again, is what we're called to, opening our homes, being hospitable. And what a better time of year to do that, Right? I mean, we got the Christmas holidays coming in. I know a lot of you guys already got your trees up. Let somebody else see all the work and energy that went into lighting that thing up. <laughs> Everyone can and must do something. Our emphasis needs to be on the quality of life. Jesus calls us to demonstrate and delegate what he represented for us as priority number one. And we've got to be willing to put the kingdom in its rightful place, the place Jesus put it. We need to be seeking first his kingdom and his righteousness rather than stressing about what we think our individual needs are. You know, when we looked at Matthew 6, who would know those things when it comes to our needs more so or better than our own creator who will make sure that our needs are met as well, amen? Our satisfaction is knowing that in the generations to come, the church family, our church family, will build and leave for our children that our witness for Christ will still be bearing fruit through them 
in an ever-widening circle of reproduction to the ends of the earth and to the end of time. The world is desperately seeking someone to follow, someone to demonstrate something to follow. Muslims, agnostics, atheists, millennials, they're all seeking. Will we be the ones that not only know the way to Christ, but more importantly, we'll be able to show the way to Christ. And again, you've heard it said before, there is no plan B, we're it. Men and women have always been God's plan. Those we model Christ for will become key to the preservation of every evangelistic effort of the church, not only in continuing our forward advance, but also in assuring its outreach to the next generation. Today I ask you, will you follow and model Jesus' strategy. I put this before you today. There's only two options. Number one, do nothing. Number two, demonstrate and delegate Jesus. Imitate Jesus. Give yourself for others and change the world. God bless. <clears throat> Thanks for listening to the South Bay Church Podcast. For other sermons, videos, upcoming events, and more about our church, please visit southbaychurch.us.